Google's front man on education is a guy named Jamie Cassop. He grew up in Hell's Kitchen. That's before the hipsters took it over. And he was raised on welfare. There was no guarantee he'd go to college. That background informs the advice he gives to young people today. Really what I tell students is to be proud of who they are. Oftentimes kids who are, uh, who are growing up in poverty hide their poverty or don't talk about their poverty, don't talk about the way they grew up. Um, and I think that I encourage them to, to own it, right, to be who they are. Casp is one of the most visible people on the education innovation circuit. Not surprising, after all, he's a top guy at one of the country's most powerful tech companies. But more than that, Jamie Cassop has become an important advocate for low-income and minority students. He even has the ear of the White House. Hello, I'm Goldie Blumenstick, and welcome to the Chronicle of Higher Education's Relearning Podcast, a weekly look at the changing education landscape. If Silicon Valley was looking for its Horatio Alger, Jamie Cassop could be a perfect candidate. Son of an immigrant single mother, some of the kids he grew up with in Hell's Kitchen, some of those kids ended up in jail. He found his way to college at SUNY Brockport, and after some jobs in finance and consulting, he landed at Google 10 years ago. When he gives talks, Cassop doesn't usually mention Google email for colleges or Google Scholar or any of the other products the company sells. He talks about himself. That's deliberate. He puts himself out there as an example to other young people growing up today the way he did. People for whom the idea of going to college and getting a meaningful career still seems like an all-too-impossible dream. We'll hear his advice for students in colleges right after this. Don't miss the latest stories and analysis about the future of education from the ReLearning Project. Sign up for the weekly newsletter at chronicle.com relearning. I caught up with Jamie Cassop at an education conference last month, and I asked him if he ever worries that his success story makes it seem like the education challenges young people face today are already solved. More than anything, one of the questions I get all the time is, how did you get out, right? Like, how is it that you got out? I get that question all the time. And I try to redirect that question back to this idea that it's not just me. I'm not some super genius, that there are millions of me out there. And I just got, it's a combination of working hard, getting your education, and luck. And, and that shouldn't be the, the magic formula. It should just be education and hard work, right? Luck, uh, we should be able to manage better. And there's millions of me uh, out there. And so I, I talk about my upbringing a lot because it's, it, it demonstrates how important education is. It, taught, you know, it, it highlights the, that with education, you can really accomplish anything. Cassip got his master's at Arizona State, and he teaches there now. That is, when he's not flying around the country doing talks or sitting beside Michelle Obama at a White House summit. He's a big fan of ASU's president, Michael Crow and what that university has done to increase access and create new academic disciplines. But he says a lot of the rest of higher education still has a long way to go. I think that there's a tide turning in terms of innovation. I think a lot of what you see in innovation in education is happening in K-12, but we're starting to see a, a switch uh, into higher education. I remember talking to a, a CIO 10 years ago and he said uh, that technology would never be a differentiator for a student selecting a college. And I think that that's relatively true, still true, uh, but I can give you a quick example. My daughter's experience, she went to a 
for, she started her college career at one school, and I won't I won't name the school, but she started at one school, and uh, and every time she went into a class, they told her you can't bring your laptop into my class, you can't you can't use your laptop in my class, and that happened in the three or four classes in her first semester, and and she's like I can't do this. I spent you know four or five years in eighth grade, ninth grade, and high school using my computer to take notes, to to write things, to look things up while while teachers were speaking. You know, it's just part of who I am. And she left and went back uh, to Arizona. You know, she went back and uh, got into Arizona State University. And so um, I think you're starting to see more of that where innovation that's happening in K-12 is starting to trickle up into higher education. Have you ever walked to the back of the classroom, though, and looked at what the students are looking at when they have their laptops up? Uh, yeah, I, and, and look. <laughs> I mean, it is a lot of sometimes Facebook and home shopping. and you know. Yeah, but that's part that, you know, so, so part of that is, one, they have their phones. They can do this anyway. But the, but the other part of it is, I, I experience this firsthand every time I get up to speak, right? So when I get up to speak, there are no professors in the room that are there to, you know, uh, to tell you to shut down your computer. So, like, if I'm looking in a room like this, everyone gets up, I get up to speak, everyone can have their devices. It's up to me to engage my students, right? It's up to me to engage the audience uh, and hold their attention. That's part of it. And the other part of it is if you're standing up in, on, um, on the top of the stage, preaching down to a bunch of students every single day, eventually there will be times where kids will just wander off. Uh, it would make more sense to have those kids engaged in project-based learning. It would have those, it, you know, have uh, more collaborative-based learning. And so maybe that's really the, the issue here, right? It's not that a professor can stand up on stage and, and talk for, for an hour, uh, but instead having the kids more engaged uh, in that education process. I've heard you speak a little bit about Generation Z, I guess, yeah. the, the generation that's been really raised truly digital. Right. And like you said, they, they want to go to college, they want to design it for themselves, but they don't know that, that they can't. Mm -hmm. And at one moment I thought that was a really poignant, very sad commentary in higher education. On the other point I thought, well, well, no, if you didn't go to college, you shouldn't be the one designing it. Right. You don't know. Right. Don't, aren't the professors still the ones who know what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> and I think what they're saying is, I want a little more autonomy in that. I want to. I want to be able to create kind of my own degree, not necessarily um, create classes, but say, I, you know, for me to be uh, a mechanic, you know, for me to be in film, I want to take history classes. I want to take these other electives, and I want to take. I want to kind of design what my learning looks like. And I think that that's really the point that they're making. Kasim says he was pretty lucky to have found his way to college. He did it mostly without the help of advisors, except for a high school basketball coach. And he eventually found his way to Arizona State for his master's. But he says the system shouldn't be built on just luck. You know, I talk about this all the time. I didn't even know about schools like Harvard. and I mean, I, you heard about them, but they were these far-off fantasy places uh, that a kid like me would never be able to go to. You spoke at the White House with Michelle Obama, the mm -hmm. reach, her, one of her Reach Higher events to encourage um, young people to think about going to college. Is there some sort of standard advice you have for young, for young people? Or maybe even a better way to think about that is, is there, is there some standard advice that colleges should be following right now to make sure that they're actually doing the right kind of recruiting for students? Yeah, those are both great questions because I think that's really what it comes down to. One is the recruitment of students, right? Oftentimes, you know, we look at students and we use grades as, as the, the what we, how do we determine whether they can go to school or not. 
and, and we don't know why those grades happen. There could be lots of reasons. So I encourage colleges to look at other ways to recruit students. How do you do a real assessment of a person's, not just what they can do, but their, their potential, right? The, the, what, what's their capacity for potential? And, and so how do we create assessment programs like that where schools can look at students? Maybe they're, they didn't have straight A's in high school. Maybe they, were ish, maybe they worked full time. Maybe they were taking care of their brothers and sisters. Maybe they had a crackhead mother. Like all these other issues that these kids are dealing with, how do you, how do, you do real assessment to determine potential? So I think we need to figure that out. That's already assuming that they've applied. Right. right, and then that's assuming that they applied, right? Like, how do you, how do you get find them? To apply? I mean, yeah. I mean, have you have you come across ways where you, I mean, organizations or even maybe institutions that you seem to seem to be doing a very good job doing outreach? Uh, well, again, my 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 uh, rose tinted glasses with Arizona State <laughs> University. You know, Arizona State University's approach is let's get everyone in, and then let's help them. Right? Nobody should ever fail out of college. Right? If they come in and they they don't do very well. What's the, what's the support that we can give them? Some people end up dropping out and not being able to do school at all. Maybe there's other things for them to do, but it's that idea that you get them into school and then help them along the way. Now, in terms of advice that I give students, uh, especially kids who are growing up the way I grew up, one of the things that I tell them, it, because they don't get to hear this, and I wish I heard this when I was this age, when I was that age, uh, I tell them that who they are uh, where they come from, their experiences, these are all powerful competitive advantages for them in the future, right? That, that their experiences are going to give them a different point of view, and if they can, if they can work hard and they can get their education, they're going to be in a room and they're going to have a different point of view, a different perspective, and I find that to be my case. And so really what I tell students is to be proud of who they are. Oftentimes kids who are uh, who are growing up in poverty hide their poverty or don't talk about their poverty, don't talk about the way they grew up. Um, and I think that I encourage them to, to own it, right? To be who they are and, 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 and uh, accept who they are, but also be proud of their family and who they are and where they come from because that's competitive advantage for them in the future. We're here at South by Southwest and you know, there's a lot of people wandering these halls right now who think the college you know, needs to be changed, it needs to be, it's the end of college, it's the disruptor crowd. I mean, what do you make of that movement? Sometimes I wonder about it, frankly, because sometimes it feels like these people who are professing DIY college and, you know, let's, all these options for people, it mm -hmm. seems like it's, you know, for other people's children, not necessarily for their own. They still want their kid to go to Yale. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> I find that to be true, too. And, and I won't name names, but when people prominent in education say things like, not everyone needs to go to college, you know, I... I I want to ask, did, did your kids go to college or, you know, did you go to college? And so I think that, you know, you look at the numbers, right? I'm a data-driven kind of guy. And, you know, if you have a high school degree, uh, you can make $30,000 a year, right? If you have a college degree, you make $46,000 a year. Until I see those numbers equal, then I am not, I'm not going to tell people not to go to college, right? I think college is still important, especially for, for minorities, especially for Latinos and African Americans, we have to level the playing field a little bit because you know there's 13% of us who have a college degree and 4% of us who have a master's degree. So to tell kids who don't That's have- for Latinos? For or? Latinos, uh -huh. sorry. If, and and if, if you're telling them that they shouldn't go to college, then you're just, you're, you're, you're just keeping things the same. We need more people of, of, of color in college with college degrees. To, to level the playing field a little bit. Now, at the same time, a company like Google, 
uh, we don't actually require a college degree to work at Google. We, you know, we're trying to do it on competency and, 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 and so forth. So I think that there is a shift to think about what is education, right? Is, is education a, a piece of paper? And I think what's different today than in the past is that when you and I went to college, we went and we just assumed that we would end up okay on the other side of it, right? And kids today see that that's not necessarily true. They see their brothers and their sisters come back from college and spend a long time in their basement or, or in their living room or, or just in their bedrooms. And so I think what kids are looking for is a competency-based experience where they're going to get a skill, they're going to learn something. And I think they see college as important. And the other thing I'll say about this is why, why do we end with college, right? Why is college the end when we can... Uh, you know, I talk to Michael Crow about this and I say, you know, why did you abandon my daughter who graduated six months ago? And, and you know, he looks at me funny because, you know, you haven't contacted her, you haven't said, hey, how are things going? What are you learning today? How can we help you? Like, lifelong learning is a lifelong learning thing and it should be, you know, when you go to college, uh, why, you know, it should be forever so that you can continuously update your skills and continuously learn. Uh, they have to find a way to pay for that, though, don't they? I mean, they can't necessarily afford to keep serving that student once they've graduated. Right. Well, well. I mean, you take classes. You, you know, you, you, there's there's lots of. I'm not going to come up with business models for universities, but you know, the subscription service models. There's, you know, there's a take a class, you know, pay up front and take a class every semester. There's lots of different models that you can use that lots of learning organizations incorporate. So yes, new business models. But Casab says colleges still don't fully get it. Students are changing. They're more digital. They're more diverse. And that means colleges need to catch up. This has been the ReLearning Podcast. If you like this and want us to continue the show, please review us on iTunes and subscribe there or on your podcaster of choice. You can also follow us on Twitter at ReLearningEDU or like us on Facebook. Today's show was produced by Jeff Young. Our theme music was by Jason Cadell. We'll be back next week with more stories and analysis about the new learning landscape.